You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Well, don't you love that question? How are you doing today? How was your week? Yeah, um... You know, since going to a relational discipleship church for the last 20 years, I've, I've grown uh, a little more comfortable of being transparent with people, but honestly, sometimes I am still working on it. And I want you to think about this. When was the last time you had a real honest conversation? Like when was the last time you had a real honest prayer, real honest conversation with God? Or even with yourself, when was the last time you really looked at what was going on below the surface and you really evaluated what you were thinking and feeling and processing? Or maybe with another person. When was the last time you had a real honest conversation with your spouse or, or a close friend about just some, some of the things that you're thinking about, feeling, processing? Well, we're looking at the life of Abram and this series, we're going to look at 10 stories and we're going to look at the values that Abram lived out in those stories and consider how we should live out those values here in Missoula. And so I'm grateful that you uh, joined us this morning. We're going to jump into this week's story starting in Genesis 15. Now, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then the next three words are kind of shocking to me. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then there's the next three words that when used in this form, tell us that there's a break between the conversations. We're not sure what, what length of time, but, and Abram said, behold, you give me no offspring and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And literally in Hebrew, from your inward parts will be your heir. Well, I suspect that there's been something brewing in Abram's heart from day one. From the first day that the Lord told him to to leave his father's house, to leave his family, to go to a country that he would show him. And that the Lord would make Abram a great nation. I think there's been something brewing in Abram's heart. And I don't know if you've considered this, but why did Abram take his nephew Lo in the first place? He was old. Sarai was old. Lord, we're barren. Didn't didn't you know that? Barrenness is, is such a, hard thing to face for people. I've known some friends that have wrestled through this. It is a painful, painful conversation for them. 
And in the ancient world, of course, your, your, your son, your firstborn son was your heir or, or, or any of your sons would, would be your heir. And then if you had no son or if your son passed before you did, then your, your closest relative, like, like Lot, would be your heir. But, but Lot leaves. He goes his separate way. And so Abram thought he was left with his senior servant. He thought he was left with Eliezer. But don't miss this. Abram shows us what it means to be authentic with the creator of the universe. And so continuing in verse five, and the Lord brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we're told in verse six, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram again says, Oh Lord God, how can I know that I shall possess it? Whew. Abram's getting brave. He's uh, showing some chutzpah here. Like, are we allowed to talk to God like, like this? Are we allowed to be this transparent, to be this real, be this honest with God? I thought we were supposed to approach him stoically, emotionless, absolutely reverent. But maybe Abram is teaching us what reverence with our maker looks like. Maybe it looks authentic, real. Maybe it has emotion. Maybe it's honest. Maybe it's raw and unplanned and unscripted, just real. Have you ever approached God this way? I mean, I know the psalmist does. He says, why have you forsaken me? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Will you forget me forever? How does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Like these are the kinds of questions that the psalmist asks. And, and Job is similar in, in his approach with God at times. As Abram grows in his relationship with his maker, he learned to trust God. Trust God's heart towards him. And out of that trust, Abram felt safe to be authentic. And I am absolutely convinced that our God has some broad, broad soldiers that we could come to him and he could handle our hard questions. Because I know some of you wrestle with some hard questions. 
he actually wants to hear what resides below the surface within us. He wants us to be real and authentic with him. And so Abram says to God, how will I know that I will possess it? And so continuing in verse nine, the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And then I think there's a great big pause between verse 10 and verse 11. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, in verses 13 to 16, the Lord gives Abram a bigger picture, new information on what was going to happen with him and his descendants. And we're going to cover that in footnotes. But continuing in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Kedemites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so that's the end of our story. But what just happened? What is going on at the end here? It seems like Abram knows what the Lord is asking for. Because he's told to get a heifer, a female goat, a ram, and, and a couple birds. And he does that. And, and just so you know, parents, uh, this next couple minutes of this conversation is going to be PG-13 at least. So uh, if you need to ask your kids to step aside, we are going to talk about blood and guts. They may not notice. They may notice. Um, so just leave that up to you. But, but Ab- Abram's told to grab these animals and Abram cuts him in half and, and take a look at this picture. So excuse the emojis, makes it look a little, little less PG-13. It's a rated G film at this point, but this is called a blood path covenant. It's used in the ancient world to solidify a marriage between, you know, a union between two parties two families. You have the father of the bride who is the, he's the greater, he's the person in position of power in this equation. And you have the groom who's considered the lesser party. So you have the greater party, the lesser party. And the animals will be cut in half with the blood draining out. And so you end up with this path. And the lesser party the groom would wear a white robe 
and will walk this path and would say something like, may my blood be on me if I do not uphold this covenant. In other words, if he doesn't stay faithful to this relationship. And the father or bride would walk the path, the blood path next and say something like, may my blood be on me if I can't produce you with the virgin according to this covenant. And so as the lesser party walks the path, the blood splatters up onto the white robe and, and it's, a, it's an image. It's a reminder of this covenant. It's, it's, it's signifying how important this covenant is and how important it is for the two parties to not break this covenant. But there's something wrong with our story that we're looking at today because Abram never walks the path. In fact, how long does it take for vultures to show up? How long does that take? It's, it's a couple hours, maybe a couple days. But Abram, through his actions, is saying, I can't walk this path. See, Abram's used to making these covenants between parties. Sometimes he's the greater party, and here's the lesser party, and sometimes they're the greater party, and he's the lesser party, but he's used to small degrees of separation between him and, and these other parties. But here's Abram, and I can't even reach, like I can't even fully put on display like how far he understands how much greater this God is compared to him in this covenant relationship. He knows this is not a normal covenant. He knows he's dealing with someone much, 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 much greater than himself. And Abram knows if he fails this covenant, it'll cost him his life. And so Abram is being vulnerable with his maker right before our eyes. And then we're told when the sun had gone down that this, this smoking fire pot goes down the path. And this flaming torch goes down this path. And so this smoking fire pot, which is in the ancient times, a picture of this deity takes the path and says, let this blood be upon me if the covenant is broken. And the flaming torch, in, likewise, similarly, a, a picture of fire being a picture of, of deity in, in ancient times, takes the blood path and says, let this blood be upon me if this covenant is broken. And so in Abram's actions, we see him say, I know I'm going to fail you, God. I, I already have. And in God's actions, we see him say, I'll take the punishment. Let the punishment be upon me, Abram, not on you. I see so many connections to communion and, and what we celebrate in communion each week. You, you have this 
this bowl, this smoking fire pot, and this flaming torch that take this path. You see Jesus talk about his, his body, the bread representing his body, and the cup representing his blood. Like there's these two elements in communion as well. And Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. That, and Jesus foretelling of himself going to the cross, which is why we, we stop each service and take time to reflect on what communion means, what Christ going to the cross means, Christ being our scapegoat, Christ putting on display the love of the Father for us as he went to the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we have an, imp- or we have an open table with communion, which means if you are here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we invite you to partake with us. And at this time, I'm going to grab the bread. And it was just a simple wafer that Jesus broke. Unleavened bread, part of the Seder meal. But he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ going to the cross, Christ taking the blood path covenant for us. Then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is new covenant in my own blood. So in this case, it wasn't three animals and, and two, two birds whose blood was shed to establish the covenant. This covenant was established in Christ's shed blood on the cross. And so we pause to remember what our Savior means to us. He says, I know that you can't Bear this burden yourself. So I'll bear it for you. And so we come in faith, trusting that this covenant established in Christ is sufficient for our salvation. Let's take this and remember this together. Well, in this story... The implication is clear that the partner God pursues is authentic. For us as a church, vulnerability and honesty, both as individuals and the corporate body, will be core to our identity. Without vulnerability, growth is handicapped, trust is lost, and dysfunction is fostered. We will commit to authentic living in order to build trust, strengthen relationships, and grow as a community. And our call to action is to, first of all, honestly know yourself. Don't hide from your mistakes. Learn from them. And don't hide from your wins either. Like we should celebrate our victories. Know your strengths 
and your weaknesses. Have a balanced view of yourself. I'd invite you to evaluate your emotions. You say that you're angry. Okay, what else is going on? Are you jealous? Are you afraid? Are you feeling protective? Like what is driving that anger? Do you know? Can you name it? Or if you say that you're happy, what else is going on there? Are you, are you hopeful? Are you excited? Are you content? Are you fulfilled? Do you know what's going on below the surface within yourself? We need to learn to be connected to who we are and, and just be connected to our emotions and, and be able to talk about them honestly, uh, to journal about them, to explore our emotions. What's the source of this emotion? Why am I feeling this emotion in this set of circumstances? What, what, what does this set of circumstances remind me of? What are my core fears? What are my core frustrations? What does that say about my relationship with God and with others? So I invite you to honestly know yourself. And then secondly, live with authentic vulnerability and honesty towards God. Have real conversations with God about, about your questions, about your sin. This, this, called, this is called confession. About your relationship with him, about your dreams and aspirations. He is your creator. He he created you with desires. He created you with longings. Talk to him about those things. And sometimes, and sometimes I'm not really sure how to express myself before God. I'll open up the Psalms. And, and if I'm frustrated, I find the Psalm where the psalmist is frustrated and, and I let the psalmist's words become my words. If I'm joyful and I'm just not really sure how to fully express all that I'm feeling towards God, I'll find a, a psalm of praise. But maybe it's time for you to take some time to have a real conversation with God. Not this quick 50 cent prayer, but honest, emotional I don't understand you. I'm confused by what you're calling me to. I'm frustrated by where I'm at. How could you leave me here? Why did my daughter have to go through this? Whatever the conversation needs to be, maybe it's time to start. And number three, Live with authentic vulnerability and honesty towards others, and especially within God's community. At Mission Ridge, we start down this path in our care groups. Our care groups are, are groups of 18 to 14 people. The curriculum is in the bulletin. 
Um, we take the conversation from Sunday and we take that conversation further. We dive, we dive deeper and we just continue that conversation so that the, the questions you're wrestling through right now, you can wrestle through with, with other believers. Now we have some ground rules for our groups and these ground rules are actually very similar to what you would see in some recovery programs because these ground rules help a group feel safe. The first one is confidentiality. What is said in group stays in group. We call this baby Vegas. What happens in group stays in group. And then we invite people to use I statements instead of me talking about how the world is doing this, that, and the other thing, I talk about what I'm struggling with, what I'm wrestling through, what I just noticed in the scriptures. And then we allow for silence in our groups when we're wrestling through scriptures. This, this gives people space to process and so we'll have little spaces of time where there's some silence so the people can feel free to process. There's no fix, fixing or rescuing in our groups. We're not there to fix you and you're not there to fix me. We trust the Holy Spirit to work in you. We trust the Holy Spirit to work in me. And so within group, we're, we're not there to fix each other. And then the last guideline that we use is there's no crosstalk. We work to be considerate of others when they're sharing. And so we don't have these side conversations going on while, while Jim over here is sharing what he just saw in the scriptures that we're wrestling through as a group. When we create safe relational discipleship environments, we create space for people to grow in their ability to trust others and grow in their ability to be transparent and honest with others. Then this leads to honest conversations about our own spiritual growth areas, about our own weaknesses, about our own fears and frustrations and failures. And beyond living out these ground rules well, each of us can do the hard work of earning other people's trust within our small groups. Brene Brown tells us in, in the anatomy of trust that you earn trust of others when you remember the names of people that are important to them. When you remember their son or their daughter's name, their mom's name, their grandmother's name. When you remember the names of those people that are important to that person. When you learn their story and you can read it, repeat it back to them. When you show up to events that are special to them, whether it's a, a recital for their son or daughter or, or soccer game or a close relative's funeral, when you show up in those moments, you're saying the things that you value, I value too. And I'm going to be here with you in those times. When you ask that other person for help and you show vulnerability, like, dude, you're way better at this than I am. Will you help me out? When you are showing that you need them in your life as much as they need you in their life, 
you earn their trust. Or when you make a mistake and you're willing to own it and apologize and make amends, you earn trust. Or when that other person can fall apart emotionally and you don't judge them. Or they're wrestling in their relationship with God. They have great big questions and and you don't judge them. You earn their trust. And you create space for them to be vulnerable and honest and authentic. And when you can assume the most generous things about their words, their intention, their behaviors, and then you go check. Like, I assume you meant the best in this, but can we talk about this and have a real honest conversation about this? When you do those kinds of things, when you assume the very best of people, you earn their trust. And so within our care groups, we need to do the hard work of earning each other's trust. Like we don't just do church on Sunday and, and, and believe that that's all God called us to in this life. He called us to relationship. And so we build these relational environments like our care groups. And so we go from Sunday to our care groups, but the relationships need to go deeper than that. And so we continue by earning each other's trust by investing emotionally and spiritually into each other in these ways. So care groups is a great on-ramp to, on-ramp to authenticity. But life-transforming groups would be the next step after that. That's either three guys or three gals coming together, reading the scriptures three chapters a day for seven days a week, and then on the seventh day coming together for an hour to wrestle over what does this mean? What, this, is, this is what I'm struggling with when I read this. I need to live this out better in my life. And so we have those conversations and it's a smaller gender specific group. And so the ability to earn more trust is there. The ability to be more transparent is there in that smaller environment. And so over time we build deeper trust and express greater vulnerability. And then there's one-on-one discipleship environments where where that trust can go even further and that vulnerability could go even further. We could have even uh, more real conversations about what we're wrestling with so that we become like Christ in the way that we live our lives, which is our goal. What is your next step for you to grow in authentic vulnerability and honesty? What is your next step? Could be an honest conversation with God. Maybe that's long overdue. Maybe you need to take time and just honestly evaluate your own heart. It could look like joining a care group and building godly community around you where you could grow in your relationship with the Lord. You could talk about the frustrations or things that you mishandle in your part of a relationship with your spouse or with your son or your daughter or your neighbor or your coworker. Or you could just be open and honest about, I don't always get it right. Maybe it's plugging into a life-transforming group. Uh, you could sign up at our groups page and we'll get you plugged in. Or maybe 
it's simply showing more transparency in the group that you're already in. Maybe it's pulling back the curtain and saying, this is what I've been feeling this week. This is where I'm struggling. These are the things I want to run from, but I think God wants me to face them instead. And I'm going to face them with you guys because you guys have earned my trust. So here we go. Whatever that looks like for you, just know that the partner God pursues is authentic. Can ask him tough questions. He can handle that from you. Will you pray with me? Father, it's our desire to be authentic. To be real before you, before, you, before ourselves, before each other. To foster growth, foster real community. To uh, grow in our likeness of Christ, your son. And so, Lord, I seek a blessing on all those who are engaging in that already. I seek a blessing for those who are, who are just stepping up to this call for the first time going, okay, it's time. May you be glorified in us as we choose to live like this together as a community. May this community of Missoula forever be changed because we're willing to live like that, to earn each other's trust, and live out authentically before each other so that we can become better people. So that we can grow and mature. May you be glorified in us, in that. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.